Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. This week on Reset the Podcast, I'm talking to the talented and charming Mark Bright, former Premier League footballer, ambassador for Crystal Palace Football Club and their academy, and author of My Story, From Foster Care to Footballer. My conversation with Mark is simply remarkable and inspirational. He's brutally honest and shares with me how he grew up in foster care the impact of being abandoned, then growing up with his brother with a loving white family, living with the racism he encountered throughout his childhood and into his stellar football career. We debate whether it was his upbringing that gave him the extra drive to achieve all he has as a footballer and his subsequent career, or if it came from deeper within. We talk about how Mark has learned to cope with his past, present and how he has mastered the difficult skill of reflecting upon and accepting losses. You'll hear how he gives credit to his incredible resilience and how he believes it requires a really strong recognition that you can't change the past, but what you can do is give your future 100% always. This extraordinary mindset is what has helped get Mark to where he is today. I know, like me, you'll gain so much from this conversation. So if you've enjoyed it, please click the follow button and send it to your work colleagues and friends. So let's get on with it. Hello, Mark. It's so lovely to see you. Suki? My pleasure. <laughs> well, it's quite nice not seeing you when we're normally we're at Crystal Palace when I see you. So this is this is a real rare treat for me to get to chat to you uh, just on your own. Not many people say that. <laughs> <laughs> so I was thinking about how to introduce you today. And then I thought, you know what? L- loads of people will know you as an extraordinary footballer somebody who's been very much at the heart of Crystal Palace in recent years, might have read your book, which is about your extraordinary childhood. Um, But for me, if I think about you, I think about two things. One is um, just how warm and lovely you always are. (laughs) And that. Not to everybody. Not to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I did think that. I thought when when people listen to this, they'll go, oh, it's not like that to me. But... <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, no, obviously, obviously know, we know each other through Steve, the chairman of, of Crystal Palace, and um, he likes linking people together. That's his thing, isn't it? Um, like Greg and Mitchell, they go riding bikes together now. There's, there's loads of different connections through Steve. Steve brings someone to the club and then introduces and He likes the fact that people do things from from it being introduced through football. So yeah, so we met. I mean, obviously, you've read the book and it's a it's a it's a backstory. It was something I'm quite proud of. Um, 2019 I did a book, my story by Mark Bright and me, obviously. And um, yeah, prophetic. It was. I had to do a lot of research, and luckily, because I was in care, we had the social service files, and they're they're factual. That you kind of write the book off them. So I gave that to the, the, the files, a couple of files to um, the ghostwriter, Kevin, and then just phone members of family and just everybody added a little bit in. A few people from school who he's still in touch with. And um, one girl said, can you remember anything about me at school? Anything unique? And I said, yeah, you're all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Charles, she said, yes, you were. But, you know, you know, they, they told me so from an earlier, they said, I always said I'm going to be a footballer. I'm going to be a footballer. I'm going to be a footballer. It's okay. I don't, I'm going to be a footballer. And um, 
it's not something I recall saying. You know, everybody said it. And so obviously I must have said it. Um, but it, it's not something I recall going around saying, I'm going to be a footballer. So really? I, I don't remember it, no. But as you know in life, no one can mention their career or their upbringing or anything without mentioning the word luck. So you need to be lucky. You know, a certain amount of luck everybody needs. So the timing has to be right. The club has to be right. The personnel around you, the staff, um, everything has to the time. Everything has to be so right. And this is when things come together, and it's really beautiful. And um, no, I'm I'm proud. That one of the proudest things I'm proud of is my school changed the house form names last year. They, they'd had the same house form names for years, and the head thought it's time for a change. So they put up all these like Wedgwood, Dalton. Um, uh, Spitfire, because uh, Reginald Mitchell's from the same area. Robbie Williams. There was like loads of different things, and they put my name up as a former pupil and someone who's who's done well from from Kidsgrove and Stoke. And the headmaster contacted me through social media through social media, and I said, if they choose me, I'll come I'll come back to the school. And they chose me, so I went back on games sports day and handed out the trip, the medals, and that it was really nice. Just nice the fact that. Like you go to that school as a pupil, you never know what the future holds for you. You don't. None of us do. And then years later, you, you're honoured by they changed one of the household names to your name. So that's a that's quite a thrill for me. Yeah, I'm sure it was. And wasn't it Mr. Arkell, your geography teacher, was one yes. who had real belief in you as a footballer? And he said, you, you're going to <laughs> He asked me what plan B was. Ah. <laughs> he asked me what plan B was. It was like, and I can, I can. Well, it's such a long time ago, but I very remember the story and how it went. And I told the story on the, on the radio and his daughter was driving somewhere listening and pulled over and she messaged the BBC and she said, can you tell, that's my dad, Mark's talking about. And he told me that story and I want to tell, tell Mark. And so they, they put us together through emails and then I called her and we had a great laugh. She goes, Mark, he's so proud of you. He's just, it's just like, he couldn't believe it that he sat you down and said, Right, not everything always goes according to plan, Mark. What's plan B? What if you're not a footballer? I will be, sir. What if you're not? Yeah, I will be, sir. I want to be a doctor, Mark. I was <laughs> unlucky, sir. So I kind of had that sarcastic, <laughs> sarcastic manner. And he kind of, um, he just, I remember he just saying, right, go on, off you go. And just thinking, he won't listen. He won't listen. But then when he said, watching you walk out, when will be the proudest man of Stoke? Yeah, wow. Proudest man, proudest man of, of ever, probably. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've been reflecting on, there's, there's quite a lot of footballers who have written their autobiographies. Um, Crystal Palace did, and, they, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I think a brilliant series around your academy. Um, but one of the things we, we hear a lot and we see a lot and came through in the academy is, on the whole, young boys and now young girls that become professional footballers have parents or somebody in their family who pushes them to be an extraordinary player and they you know sometimes they're a little bit over pushy I the bit mm. I keep wondering about is as you went into foster homes who was there for you what how did you manage yeah. to do it when you didn't have that anchor of a family going you know we're, we're here for you yeah I had support from my brother, really. Yeah. I mentioned him a lot, a lot in the book. Yeah, you do. And um, he, he kind of, he was, he was the drive behind, making sure that, making sure I believed in myself and you can do it. And when I came home and hadn't played well and you're a bit down, just lifting you and coming on a cold night after work, standing on the terrace on his own, just watching me play for the reserves. And my sister used to come as well, Marie. They, they all came and supported when the you know, um, part-time and full-time, you know, Leak Town or whatever, they'd all come down and watch and just encourage, really. And that's the most important thing. You know, you're a parent, I'm a parent, so I could tell my son, he, he loves he loves football, he absolutely loves it, but he wasn't going to be a footballer. But he was quite good when he was about six or seven. And then, I don't know, I, th I think they tire of people saying, oh, if you're half as good as your dad. And what you don't realise, if you say that to somebody, it's intimidating for them. Like I, I respect the guys who've, whose dads were football, you know, Casper Smichael, Frank, Frank Lampard, etc. And you've had to follow in the footsteps of greats, and it can't be easy. But I remember Frank Lampard senior telling me, like, watching Frank Junior walk out with England at Wembley was 
far superior than anything he felt in his own career for himself. Really, I suppose it's your yeah. son's achieving. So, so yeah. So my brother was the was inspiring. He was the inspiration behind, who made me believe. And also, there's lots of people on the way, so you don't mention who play a small part. And it's like say, if you got a lot of lots of bricks, and everyone puts a brick to get the wall will build, and and you haven't built it on your own, but you've had lots of help, and it's difficult when you do the journey and you don't mention people. You know, you always feel apologetic. Um, you know, because I had great support from like a, a girl I was going out with in Stoke. Her parents both passed away now. Her dad passed away not long ago. And I sent him a copy of the book. And I said, even though you're not mentioned by name, you're one of those people who say there are lots of people in this book who supported and helped me along the way. They know who they are. Yeah. And I, I suppose everybody thinks he's there, don't they? Well, exactly. And that's fine. That's fine, isn't it? I yeah. mean, you know, you say that... Um, you know, we know what happened is your mum left and then your dad gave you and your brother up for um yeah. up for to, to be fostered. Do you remember mm. that moment? And, no. But looking back on it and when you were writing the book, how did that make how does that make you feel? Because I mean, you know, you do say someone yeah. what kind of person does that, but what kind of yeah, mother I know. The, the thing is, you what you have to realize is when you have a child. Like, so we all, friends and whatever, have, have kids. And you're sitting there staring at that thing you've created and you're holding it and you just think, you died for this child. Yeah. So when you, when you think of somebody putting that child into care, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's hard for me to, to see if you, if you love that child like you say you love it why or how you would do that it's very my son like i i couldn't it's, it's not easy but i could no matter what he did i mean obviously law abiding etc but yeah to, to to put somebody you say you love or your your being and say right somebody's got to look after that child and lucky for us we had great foster parents my my real grand tried to keep us together so she took us it was a very short period Nana Parton took us next and she had us for a few years. Then we just got too boisterous for her and she was getting old. And the two daughters got, grew up and got married. So she was on her own. And then obviously, Gran and Granddad Davies, who we call Mr. and Mrs. Davies, who had us from six to 16, 17, 18 years of age. So, yeah, it's um, you, w doing the book, you, you, it's a lot of soul searching. And, and you do realize well, the one thing my brother said, we've been lucky because you know what happens to a lot of people go into care or who run off and end up, you know, on the streets and get abused and everything. So you realise how lucky we've been to get great foster parents who looked after us and treated us just like their own kids. And yeah. and and that's that's the person who really, if I call somebody mum, I'll call, you know, my grand mum because she did the mother's role. Yeah. You know, and I know that it, it wouldn't have been easy for, for our mum in the 60s you know, the 50s and 60s, you know, a white woman in England going out with a black guy, it wasn't easy. You know, she got spat at walking down the street, etc. And it's very difficult. I don't want to over-criticise because my sisters grew up with with our mum. So she kept the three girls and my brother and me were in care. So, so you know, she was a good mum to them, but they understand our position as well. So, you know, you, you it, it's just one of those things which you don't really, you don't want to stand there and start slagging people off in front of, their you know their mum so yeah, yeah so we, we you just deal with it you just deal with it so if you deal with it and you can't let it up you can't let it you'd be so inside angry and it would it would rule your life and it would stop you moving forward and you, you're always blaming somebody so you just have to draw a line I do I know I do in my life if something happens to try and draw a line just move forward and try not to go back and look to back at it you know everything that's what I found I've done I bury things probably and don't talk or don't talk about them or but as you as we both know now I get a whole host of help from how our academy is and how workplaces are and how important these people's mental health is now we talk about it whereas before we didn't and people were scared to come forward and nobody if something happened to somebody no one talked about it um you know if you're feeling down people just tell you get on with it what's wrong with you shake yourself get up get on with it 
there was no such thing. You know, there was a there was a there was tough love, but then there's then there's the person who needed help. You know, that person in your class who you could you could see needed help, and everyone picked on him and everything. And you kind of feel before, oh, don't keep picking on him. You felt sorry for him. In many ways, it's it's playground bullying that everybody's doing to that person. And now we know we know better. We know different. It's not right to do it. And so we we're more conscientious. And if I was at Crystal Palace now, as a say seven, eight, nine year old, and everybody knew my backstory, they would make sure I was okay. The, child, the, the psychologist will phone you, or you know, people make sure when you come to the training, are you okay? Are you all right? Are you eating well? So you get support, I and mean, I think it's brilliant that they do. And um, you think, yeah. Mark, if I mean, you know, it's really difficult, isn't it, to look back in hindsight. Um, if you had that kind of care, I mean, look, you're an extraordinary footballer, you've had an extraordinary career, but do you think if you'd been treated differently when you were young, if you'd had a different background, did that background make you the person you are? Or or could you have been yeah. an even better fo footballer? Do you think look, about that? I have done, but then once again, you're going back. And, you, and so if you look at them as hurdles, you know, or horse racing, you just have to get over the next one. You just have to get over the next one. You just have to get over the next one until you come to the finishing line. So Neil Morrissey from the uh, Men Behaving Badly, I bumped in him at Wembley and he just said, oh my God, Brighty, I'm, oh, stay there. I want to speak to you. We were in the same care home together. My arms, everything went prickly and because oh. no one really, I never talked about it during football. And then when players started to find out, when especially when the book and everything, they messaged me. And mm -hmm. and just say wow, Brian never. And so that side of things, because I didn't, re I didn't want anyone to feel sorry for me, and I just wanted to prove from a difficult start you can be successful. So Neil Morris had a theory that he did a documentary. He, he traced people who were in the care at the same time, and he asked me if I wanted to take part. And at that stage, my mum was still alive, so I said no, I, I wouldn't want to do that. And um, I watched the documentary, and my brother watched it up in Eves and Stoke, and we both watched it. And as soon as it finished, he phoned me. He said, I want all my papers from the um, social services. I want all my files, Mark. So I phoned Neil and just said, right, can you put us in touch? And he put us in touch. So we went up and got them. So he, his theory was we had extra drive. We had more determination. We had, and I said, if that theory was correct, Neil, everyone who's in care would be super <laughs> successful <laughs> running, running all the businesses. So it's not true. But he said he felt it gave him a bit more drive and you know, to succeed. So that thing of never having a new bike or, you know, having a football for, for Christmas Day, getting the, that ball and thinking, oh my goodness, it's the best thing I've ever had. You never had a bike. You went outside to play football. Everyone's riding around on new bikes. So I've <laughs> never been with any, you know, our foster parents have always been giving us love, what price you put for love. So, yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't think it would have been different because I think the drive comes from within. And there's certain people, I got a phone call this afternoon, a manager asking me about a player we released a couple of years ago. I like the player, I won't name him. And we released him because we just didn't think he was going to, to do it for us. So we thought, give him a, a little kick up the backside, scare him, release him, take a salon just in case he, he bounces and he goes on to do great things. And he didn't, and he's just slipped further down. And so this manager's phoned me to say, Mark, give, I know you'd be honest with me, tell me what you think. So you just tell him honestly, this, this, and this he's really good at. These two things he's got to get, he's got to grasp. And if he grasps them, he's going to be what he's going to do well. Yeah. So he's going to give him a chance and um, get him in and, and have him come with the team. So you kind of, you want all these kids to do well. And as you know, you're in the academy and there's many characters and you get to know them and love them. And then you watch the documentary and you see people sort of climbing the, on the ladder as you do, as you are heading for that first team, that's what you. That's the that's the goal, and everyone's trying to support and help you. Everyone in that academy wants you to be successful. For the ones below you, it gives everybody else hope. So the more people get into the first team, the more people want to join your academy instead of going to Arsenal or to Chelsea. What you need to see is players getting into the first team. So everyone's there to help, and and that's just one of those things that um, yeah. at that time I was trying to help him. Yeah, and so you know, look. You had uh, a, a fantastic career as a footballer. What did that? What did that feel like? It's only when you finish that you can really like the guys who are playing now. So, so I'll go to we go to Man City and in the boardrooms Mike Somerby and Francis Lee. So they were two proper stars, 
proper Manchester City stars, legends, real, real, real legends. So they they were better than so many other people who are on the pitch now. But they can't explain that either. That you, when you finish, it's just it's over. And as much as you look at that play and say, "Oh, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, I'd have scored there. Oh, I would have, right." It, 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 you miss chances. You didn't score. You missed the penalty. You you did all those things that they, these guys do. So you just kind of like you, you're just trying to encourage them and be positive. So when I'm around the guys, there's no need for me to criticise. I don't criticise Will for anybody like that. You know, you just say, "Well done, great goal, Will. Well done." They know. They get that feeling. They know that you, you know you're not sucking up to them, but you're just wishing them well. If you when you come to club and when people leave this club, so Crystal Palace, they always say there's some draw that pulls them back. They like coming back. Damon Delaney came back the other week. Peter Ramage sent me a message saying, Bright, I've seen the academy. It looks fantastic. Those kids have got a great chance now. So once you play for that that club, a part of it stays with you. And, and, and it stays with you all the way. So I don't think I would have been a better player had I had a, a, a great upbringing with parents who were support. I think I just think the drive was with, from within and, and I, was as, I was as good as I could have been. When people ask me about my career... Do I have any regrets and everything? Of course, you would like to win something. I got two FA Cup finals and a League Cup final and lost all them, but we got two promotions as well. So I would have loved to have won a trophy so you could just say, "There's, there you go, Isaiah, there's my, that's a winner's medal for you. Yeah. Um, but it didn't happen. But I, l- listen, I gave everything I had in all those games and just, you have to accept. And even now, when I watch the FA Cup, I kid you not, it, it's still a little bit inside of you is just angry that you you couldn't win it when you watch other people parading around with the cup and that yeah i'm sure nothing you can do but still inside it still hurts that you had three chances to win a trophy and i didn't win one but that's i think that's sports i think everybody yeah if you're a professional sports person when it comes to the end and it's time to hang the boots up and everything you just want to know i was i as good as i could have been did i give it everything i had not everyone can say they gave everything they had in every game you play bad Professional sport, you don't play well all the time. Play bad. People get relegated all every year. So when when it comes to that time, you know that you haven't performed well. You've tried, but you haven't performed well. So when I when I retired, I was ready to retire. I was absolutely fine with it. I'd given it everything I had. I'd in many ways, in many ways, it was a success story. My ambition was to be a footballer. My I got I got released from Port Vale straight away. Then I had to go and play non-league, and then I came back. And then I moved up the ranks and ended up playing Crystal Palace in the Premier League and then Sheffield Wednesday in the Premier League, Charlton in the Premier League. So I was successful, but in terms of winning something, I wasn't. So I look at it and just think, how many people achieve what they set out to do when they're young, like be a pilot or a mechanic or whatever? If you do, there's a sense of achievement. Then you want to be the best in your field and that's what you strive for. Yeah, yeah, I can completely see that and I can see that. And one of the things that um, Steve and I often talk about, well, and, and you know, you see it all the time. The thing about being in football, and then even more so if you're a player, <clears throat> is it's very binary. I mean, you literally you win or lose, don't you? So you win or lose. <laughs> Keep up there. I, I'm fascinated, you know. And I speak to Steve, and one of the things that always makes me smile with him, I don't know if this happens, but it must happen, is that there's a moment, particularly with Crystal Palace, less so now where there's a moment where, are you going to stay up or not? And he has a few weeks when he goes, you know, I really hate this job. I hate being chairman. I don't want to do it anymore. It's too stressful. I can't cope anymore. I need to stop. And then it's all fine. And then I have this conversation (laughs) with him, and it's like he forgets he ever had that conversation. Um, And you have the same thing. And and I'm a player. How do you cope with that binary win or lose every single time? So unless you play for one of the big teams, Suki, you, 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 you're going to probably lose more than you win. You know, it balance, it balance itself out. Um, the Man Cities and, you know, the Liverpools and then Arsenal, they, they, you know, they're big clubs and they're successful. So they, they buy good players and you're in part of that machine that wins things. At Manchester United, you go along there and you see the wall, you know, all the years when they've won the Premier League, et cetera, and then the trophies and, you know, and you think the pressure coming on the players coming into that club, obviously it's immense. But from a young age, you have to learn, not not necessarily accept, because you don't you, you never accept losing, 
we have to learn how to cope with it. And the, the most difficult thing is, you know, you play well and lose, and that can happen in the Premier League. And it doesn't seem to happen in the Championship, but it doesn't seem to happen in Leagues 1 and 2. If you play well, you usually win. In the Premier League, you can play well and lose. And then you're engrossed in it because you've played for the club and now you're, you're a fan of the club, but you work for the club. So you want everybody to do well. And then if you, so your Saturday night or your weekend is Saturday afternoon between three and five. If you win, if you're lucky, you know you've been lucky, that's even better than playing well and winning because you just want to win when you don't play well. So, um, yeah, yeah, I always feel for Steve because obviously he's, in, you know, got millions at stake and he's everybody, all those fans who go to that club are looking to him to provide a team for them to cheer, to be successful, to enjoy their weekend, to spend their money. They're, they're, you know, and it's getting tougher now, as we know, on following that club up and down the country, on the train, on the plane, you know, by car, standing on the terraces, getting wet, cheering that team on, even if they're not winning, and then coming back on the train, bumping into you and saying, we'll be all right but next week. We play X, we play Y, we play Z. They, you know, people, I've struggled with Steve 12 years, I think, on the train everywhere. No one's ever come up to him and given him loads of stick. Never. They all come past and say, you're doing a great job, Chairman. Well done. Well done, Steve. You're doing a great job. And you know what he's like. You talk to anybody as well. And he takes interest in what you... I mean, there was one kid, Steve will tell you the story. <clears throat> he, he just goes, have you, got, have you got a minute for me? And he looked a bit useful. You look quite, you know, short, sharp, <laughs> uh, fit and everything. I thought, oh, <laughs> Steve could be getting a good idea in a minute. And he said, why don't you give um, a discount to, to services? You know, army, nurses. He goes, oh, I don't know. Nobody's really asked. So he said, he said, right, so I can't go midweek games because I have to be I can't, I, I have to be back for something, right? Like, and Steve and me both thought the same thing. So Steve said, he, yeah, while he was talking, he just looked down to sit, look at his ankle, see if he's got a tag on his ankle or anything. <laughs> and he ended up being in the army. That's why he couldn't come to midweek because the, the, the curfew and... And so, like when he said, I can't get out midweek, so I, oh, it's difficult for me. <laughs> and he, uh, we had a great conversation as Steve said, so tell me what, what you do in the army. I'm going to be a carpenter or something like that, an engineer or something. And he said, what's the plan? I'm going to qualify, come out, start my own business. Did it. So Steve liked that. So a year later, a guy walks past us. Well, he was, I don't know. Yeah. Like the next season, Steve goes, you know, that was, that's that kid who came and sat with us. Who's, he's in the army. And, he, and I said, are you sure? Because he just walked past to yeah. go to the toilet or something. And he came back. Steve goes, how are you doing? He goes, yeah, how are you doing? I don't know if you remember it or not. And he goes, right, so how's the plan going? He said, you know what? It's going to be difficult to start my own business because I'm going I'm to need money. And in the army, I won't have enough money when I come out. So I'm going to have to go and work for somebody while I try and say, it was just brilliant. Steve, I remember it because the because he was so positive. And Steve said, I like him. I like him, Brian. I really like him. You know, And you know what Steve's like. He's... He, you know, he'll talk and help anybody. I've taken loads of people to him to, to for job advice. And one guy said, Mark, I've, I've looked at your website. I could increase uh, revenue. Can you get me a meeting? So I asked Steve. So Steve says, yeah, get him in. He got him in, plugged his laptop to the screen. And the, Steve, he goes, right, this, this and this. And Steve goes, right, we're tied into a website and we've got another year to go. So when it, when, we're, when we finish that contract, we're out. We're doing our own thing, blah, blah, blah. But you're absolutely right. Steve plugged his laptop and said, right, we can't do this because of this. We can't do that because of that. So in like, say, honestly, 10 minutes, the meeting was done. And the guy <laughs> went, right, sorry for wasting your time. He goes, no, 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 you haven't wasted my time. So I said, I'll walk you out. So I walked in, he goes, cool, Mark. He's across everything, isn't he? I said, I know. He said, I feel a little bit embarrassed. I said, no, don't. I said, because he'll have enjoyed that you've looked and done some research and done. And, he, and when I went up, Steve goes, I like him. I like him, right? Yeah. He's um, he's on it. So, yeah. So so you, you, you were mostly invested in the club, but not as financially like Steve is. So when you win, it's absolutely brilliant. When you lose, unless you play well, really well, and we're unlucky, you, you take a little bit of heart from that, but you you know the, when Steve gets to 40 points, everybody breathes a sigh of relief. There's six teams in the Premier League. The other 14 breathe a sigh of relief when they get to 40 points because it's seen as the measure. Only Crystal Palace have gone down with 42 points, but the league was bigger. So yeah. 40 points is seen as... And, and as you know, you start planning for the next season. He's always... You're always planning for the next window. You know, so Jen was just closed. Now he'll, he's, you know, probably go and lock himself in a dark room because we've got two players in. So, yeah, 
it's, it's it, you just have to get used to it. So that's the, the answer to that question is you just have to adapt to getting over disappointments yes. as quickly as you can and moving on because you, yeah. you can't sit and, well, we were unlucky Saturday, weren't we? Yeah, but it's Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. And I and I do think this is something and I've seen it in Steve and clearly you must have it because as a player um, and maybe you've got that some of it from your childhood as well. Letting go people that can't let go, people that hold on to grudges, to situations, to scenarios for a long time, it can damage them both emotionally, but lives as well as their careers. But it's it's hard to do. And and I think, you know, you and I have spoken before. There is a balance, isn't there, between being able to let go, but also to that not go inwards and for you to let go and, and be able to be um, a nice human being that can talk yeah. about emotions. Because that's something else you talk about, don't you? And that's, yeah. that's everyone experiences ups and downs in marriage, in work, in life, falling out with friends. And you learn how to manage, you learn how to cope and you you learn how to get on and apologize if you're wrong. And that's where I was always taught. But there's nothing like there's nothing like professional sport where if you win together, it's the best feeling. So this is why the golfers, when it comes to the Ryder Cup, you play as a team. So, you know, that putt, if it goes in, saves the match and we win the Ryder Cup. So when, he, when that putt goes in, it's not just for him, it's for the team. The support staff, the group, the country, Europe, if you like, against America and everybody. So, so that's why the team thing. I love tennis and, and, you know, individual sports and everything. But there's nothing like the team sport for when you win and how you celebrate. And that's that the, the drive and somebody else doing pushing you. You push somebody else. He pushes somebody else, and that's what you do in a team, the team sport, and work, work as well. That's why a lot of like people like Chris Akabusi, the former runner, <clears throat> he goes around and does this motivational speech, and I've seen him do something. It's really good. He does a visual as well with a with with you know the four English guys against the four Americans in the Olympics. No one gave him a chance, etc. And he just shows you how you can do it with teamwork, and he he does that to your company or whatever. And watching him do that because he's a, he's a similar person. He's been in care. And he, he said the same thing. Do you think we got extra drive because of the, the setbacks in life? Because you, you, he's very similar to me as well. He just moves forward, just moves forward and let it go. Don't let, you know, you'll get bitter. You'll get bitter. And it's very difficult then to control your emotions if you, if you allow things to affect you like that. So, so when you have stuff that does upset you, how do you let it go? Do you do you have to? Are you so practiced at it now that it just happens, or do you have yeah. to actively go? Do you know what? I'm gonna. I'll be sad for a bit. I'll be angry for a bit, and then I'm gonna positively, consciously let it go. Yeah, um, I don't know. I'm, I, you know, I've been quite lucky in, in my life. I, I feel. You know, when I, I when I finished football, I went straight to the BBC. I worked sort of 12, 14 years for the BBC, going to the World Cups, going to the, the European Championships, going to the Africa Cup of Nations, Olympics. Um, I did loads of stuff and then left there and sort of like did some a bit of coaching at Palace and then, um, yeah, got employed by Palace, uh, the loans manager. And imagine you go around watching players play and encourage them. So I kind of... I can always put myself in their position when, regardless of how big a disappointment you're having or going through, you, you, you've had great support from your mum and dad and your brother and your sister coming and watching all your career. And you've, you've got great support now. They'll come and help and comfort you everything. You've just got to just get your head down and work hard. So it, it, there's, it's, a, it's, um, it's a common theme in football and in sport and in life as well. You've got to work hard. Unless you're absolutely privileged and, and get looked after, you have to work hard. You've got to go out and make a living. Learn, learn how to cope. Learn how to be on your own. Learn how, all those things. I don't, I, I, I don't know how I've done it. I just, um, I don't give it too much thought. But if I get a disappointment, I mean, obviously, I got divorced, and you know, at that stage, that I couldn't, I, I'm not, I was not upset for my, with myself for, for any particular reason. I thought I'd made a bad choice. 
and you didn't make a bad choice, as you know, just things change, things move, and 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 like you know, you're still friends. We, we have a son together, etc. But I, you, I thought I'd made a bad decision, a bad choice, and you think, oh, how did I get that wrong? And you don't get it wrong. It just things happen and change. So I was a big. That was the biggest change in my life since the childhood, and so I kind of. Um, I don't know. It's, went to see somebody. This this lady, she was excellent, very funny as well, and um, acupuncture and chatting, um, and helped me come come through the other end. And like, I didn't fancy talking to one of my mates or anything. You don't want to burden people because you, you you know you're going through a bad time with your relationship. But um, yeah, so I saw somebody and recommended her to other people. Yeah. I said, you know, if you if you need someone to talk to, because it's like just talking to a mate. She's really good, but she has answers and everything. And 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 so I, that that was my way of coping. And yeah, I came out of it. And you can't say you come out the other end laughing and joking. You get divorced. So there's no winners there. It's a horrible, it's a very horrible thing to go through. But you know, years later, we we've can we say we're friends? I'm not. You know, we we got a kid together and we we talk. And you know, she's gone through another divorce. So yeah, so. Just you just I don't know. I, I don't that's that's the only time I've had some help. That stage there. Everything else I think I've coped with myself. I feel I feel, I feel been lucky that mm. I have that kind of temperament and everything that you 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 don't have to seek out. But when I did need to seek help, I, I, I sought it and and it, and it was there for me. Well it, I, I asked a friend and he told me. So I trusted this friend and he wouldn't say anything to anybody and he told me and I went and I phoned him. I said, Do you know what? She's brilliant. So I love I love I love once a month, and I was looking forward to going and seeing her once every four weeks. I kind of wanted to go every week, but it's not the kind of thing you go to every week. Um, but yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah, yeah, that's was- good, isn't it? And I and I think you know one of the things I love about the academy actually is that you know you've got psychologists involved. The well-being of the boys is really important. It really comes across on in the series. I know it's something very important to you and to Steve. And the other thing I really like is that that you wanted to be able to help and support the boys that you let go as well as the ones yeah. that carried on. Yeah. After, after care. Yeah. So Steve, you know, you know, Steve, we, we've mentioned him more than anybody else. So he's very conscientious and he said, right, right. I, I'm, I don't like the fact we have them from eight years of age. And when they get to 18, we've got to make this decision, retain or release. And we let them go. And we virtually throw them on the scrappy and say, you're not good enough to be a professional footballer. I said, we don't say, we say right now you're not good enough, Steve. It didn't work for your crystal palace. It might work for you somewhere else. And so he said, right, but there's too many. We just discard. We've got to do something. I said, right, what are we going to do, Steve? How are you going to change history? This is what happens at football clubs. It's very, 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 very difficult to be successful. So everybody knows it. All the players know it. The parents know it. But if you say to that kid, we're going away to our caravan at the weekend and you can't go play football because the family are coming first, that kid's going to resent you. Because he's not good. He wants to play play for professional football, and if he plays professional football, all the families absolutely know that if he makes it to the top level, they're all going to be looked after. Sister will be having a nice handbag and mumble. You know, the kid's going to look after everybody. So I don't think that for one reason that they just say right, we have to do that. It's you. You have to give your kids opportunities. So introduce them to any as much thing as many things as you can, in tennis or golf or hockey or cricket, football, anything you can. To get them out, get them exercising because that's you've got to exercise. You've got to stay fit, stay mentally sharp, um, and then support them with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, my my son's um, he he plays. He's very good at tennis because he's had tennis lessons from being four or five. So they just got they just don't forget that. Just you know, he has a hit up and that sort of thing. But other than that, he watches a lot of sport. And I tell him he's got to get out and do something. Yeah, yeah, get out for your well being. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So when you're, look, I know you're, you said, and, and you got quite a bit emotional early on when you were talking about your mum and, and now you are a dad to Isaiah. Isaiah? Isaiah? Yes. Um, do you, how do you stop yourself from over-loving him? I remember asking, because Gary Lineker, obviously we used to play together at Leicester and then we just kind of stayed friendly and then I worked with him at the BBC. So when he used to go on holiday, like we used to always be on holiday as well. So kids would get together. Mm. So he'd say, oh, I'm hiring a boat ride, one of the boys' birthdays, and bring Isaiah, et cetera. And they were all just playing in the, in the sea or whatever. And I said to him, 
four boys, right? And I said to him, you know, when you had your second child, where does the love come from? Because you don't think you've got any more love to give because you're giving this all to, to Isaiah or your, your, your daughter, whoever it is. So when another child, he goes, I know, I thought like that, but it just it's just there. It's the same. I said, it just seems that you'd be, I was nervous about thinking, come off, you have another kid and you don't feel the same. You, oh, and I was like, you know, because at that stage you're thinking, right, I might have another kid here. Um, but you said, it's just there. It's just there. I know what you're thinking. It just is. And everybody says the same thing. You've got kids. You just do. Because you didn't, I didn't think there was any more love left in me for anybody else because Isaiah's got it all. And he just said, you do. So I don't know that other feeling of the second second one, but everybody tells you the same thing. Yeah. But I just wonder, because of your upbringing, whether you find, I, mean, I, I imagine in my head that if I'd been in foster homes, and I know you said you had lots of people caring about you, but you would want to overcompensate when you have your own child. I don't... Um... It's difficult because I, I I I just I didn't really have a great idea of parenting because I didn't I didn't have a role model. Imagine if you, you, your dad's everybody's dad, a girl's first, a girl's first lover, son's first hero. I didn't like my my foster parents were older; they were like like late fifties, getting into the sixties when they had us. So when we when we went to them, so you kind of he was very strict, my granddad. He's very strict, you know, from Lancashire and um, Welsh origins, and he was very firm, you know. And it was it was a lesson with his own sons as well. He had three boys of his own: um, Granville, Victor, and Malcolm. Um, Uncle Granville, Uncle Granville's passed away, but Victor and Malcolm still around. And when they read the book, they said, "Got him right." He's he treated <laughs> everyone the same. If you, he had a book, and if you if you said, "Could you could have asked some money?" If it was five pound or whatever, and you in his book would write the date or whatever, you gave him the two pound back, then the pound, <laughs> and that was his thing. You can, yeah, you, yes, I've got some money from you, but you got to pay it all back, all of it. And don't he, he was quite strict and firm like that. So we were taught quite well, you know, doing jobs and things like that around the house, to tidy, cook, wash, prepare the like the vegetables and everything. We, you had to do those jobs before you could go out. So. We, we we were taught well um yeah so I, I i would say i was isaiah's got away with a lot because you just i don't i don't want you know when i said to him before isaiah you know wash dad's car frame how much <laughs> well in take, some ways that's quite good in, but in other ways you no, <laughs> take the take the take the bin out for me when you how much i'm not paying you to take the bin out. are you mad what are you i mean so softer, yeah, because I mean, we were, we were, ours was strict, strict. Like when you said sit down, sit down, I kind of like, uh, you know, if, if, if at 10 years of age, like that, you do that, try to pull your hand back, he wouldn't flinch because he, he, you know, <laughs> when we were young, if somebody went like that, you'd run because you think, right, I'm getting a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. our kids never got that. We, we treat them always, no, don't shout at them, don't hit them, talk to them. <laughs> they got away with murder yeah so, exactly. um, yes. uh, 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 that doesn't make me laugh um but one of the things that you also talk about in your book and you have talked about quite openly and also happened to you um because you are a black man is racism yeah um and you know we, we've well just in general in business now we're much more aware of this it's been a big issue in football um how do you feel about what you've experienced and how then you help and support what's particularly happening at Crystal Palace? But I know you've spoken quite openly. And Yeah. Um, yeah, we attended events and kick it out when they first got going. And, you know, I remember just, I just remember attending a lot of things and I just seemed like, I, I felt like it was a one man show at times. Every time there was something to be spoken about, I was the one speaking and it was like, you know, hundreds of like, you know, black players and no one seemed to be saying anything. So, it, yeah, it was. It, we've moved forward massively. We have, regardless of what people say, the social media has obviously taken us backwards because of the emojis and everything, um, and this whole thing of uh, social media. 
And it's, it's, I mean, I go into social media call a long time ago. A guy, a kid at the BBC said, you should do this. Twitter, it's funny. You can, and I, and I got onto it and then Lineker and Sheeran and I went, what are you doing that for? I said, yeah, but you engage with the fans. You can ask them who their best player has been so far. Said, oh, you know, and there was, there was the, kind of like at the start, there was no real bullying. It was people discovering how it works and what you can do and you can use it to a positive. And then when we played, you had, we ran out once at, virtually a lot of the way games, you know, West Ham was bad, Newcastle was bad, Merseyside was bad, um, Millwall was bad. There were lots of grounds where it was bad. There was lots of grounds you got some racial abuse, but some grounds were worse than others. And it just tends to be probably those in rural areas with, with no black communities because there's no black fans, no, no hardly any black players. Um, and it moved forward slowly, but then when the change came, and then social media came and the players have a platform and they have followers and they can speak openly about important issues. And I felt that they 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 addressed it. You know, people like Rio Ferdinand got millions of followers, you know, and they address things and call people out and call, you know, fans out. And um, it changed a little bit. Wilfred doesn't take the knee because he didn't. He, he says, what's the point? Nothing changed. I still get stick. I still get if he scores a goal or he celebrates in front of the away fans, if he goes on his socials afterwards, just hundreds of bananas and monkey images and everything. And, you know, but I said to him, when we used to play, we used to come out and there'd be 5,000 people in that stand who boo, make monkey noises and everything. So you get a handful, and I know it's wrong. I'm not trying to say it's not. You get 10 or 15 people doing it, but then you get your family sitting in the stand and you get a whole stand booing and jeering and making monkey noises at you horrible for your family with, with us you could always try and score a goal and smile just there you go just walk away and smile put your hands up or turn around so they see the number on your shirt or your name um but it, that doesn't make it right either but but with the guys today i think it's so much better and more conscientious for, uh, you know everywhere but there's it shows you just how people still are with their mentality um, so it's better. It's way better for these guys because some of them had uh, on the pitch. We used to get off opposing uh, opposing players, and then the bench and everything. But it, it was quite. That's how bad it was. That the bench used to say it to you, you yeah. know, the N word and shout, you know. And I mean, imagine that the bench. I mean, now, I mean, you lose your job if you yeah. shout to a player, you know, calling the N word or something like that, and everyone hears you and looks at you. What are you doing? You're losing your job. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It, it, is. it? it is better, but there's still room for improvement. Yeah. When you want big changes, you want everything to happen straight away. And as you know, in business and in life and everything, everything happens in one go. So you keep not you keep knocking down the, the barriers, knocking them down, knocking out, and you move forward until you get a clear run. I just thought, I wonder if my son will be growing in, in a time when they'll they'll ask you, did this used to happen, Dad? And wow, you know, but then we're not there yet, as we've seen. And America isn't as well, and you know some no. sad things going on. Exactly, but it's interesting. I was at Old Trafford for the game on Saturday. Yeah, you know, and and at Palace, obviously, and I haven't been to Old Trafford before, and it's massive. Yeah, there's so many fans and people there, but actually, the percentage of of coloured and black people watching the game is still relatively small. Yeah, yeah, but it's growing. But it is growing. And how do we encourage more people from, you know, I mean, still predominantly white men, isn't it? You know, yeah, I, of course, yeah. I, there were quite a lot of women, but even then, you know, not many around me. So um, and I just wonder what, what do we do to encourage that? Well, you imagine we, we go to South Africa, I think it was 1990, was it? 89, 1991, one of those years. And we play in the FMB Stadium. Federal National Bank, I think it was, in um, Soweto. And it was just 50,000 people, black faces. It was the most bizarre thing. I said to our players, imagine this lot starting to shout some white this, white that to you lot now, how, how, how you would feel, you know. And I suppose that's the only time you could put the shoe on the other foot and just say, if they all started jeering and booing you now every time you touch the ball, how do you think you'd feel? But you wouldn't know because they wouldn't jeer and boo. They, but it was amazing when you, and, and but obviously I go to the Africa Cup of Nations and I've been involved in lots of them for the BBC. So you're just used to, the, the, you know, South Africa, 
So it's mainly black, black faces watching the game. So in this country, obviously, I think black people love football, absolutely 100%, but didn't want to attend to hear that kind of abuse being fired around. And especially it makes you uncomfortable. And quite a few players have had their families made uncomfortable as well in stands. And that's like last, last season, the season before, just recently at certain grounds, they're made to feel uncomfortable. So why would you spend your money at going to something at the weekends where you could get abused and feel uncomfortable? So you'd, you'd watch on watch it on the TV. But there's more black faces now when I look at crowds, when the, 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 the cameras pan around, the, there's more black faces. There's a lot of Indians and everything at the Old Trafford just sitting by, by the dugouts and Sikhs probably, I've got to get that right. Uh, um, you know, but you see there's loads of, people of colour at stadiums, which is, it's, it football's for everybody. You know, it's the people's game. So, yeah, I mean, it will grow. It will. It just it just will, you know, because you, you, you usually get taken to a game by your dad or, and then you then say, this is, when I when I see people at the ground, I always try and, they say this is his first game, Mark. I said, oh, if it, in the old days, you could go, come on quickly, come with me, I'll take you to the change room to show you all the shirts and that and, his first game, he'll never forget that, will he? Make sure he comes for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And certainly, and I've seen both you and Stevens and the others, when when people come for their first game at Palace, it's so lovely. The yeah, way. special. Um, look, Mark, I could talk to you for ages, but um, thank you so much for spending time with me today. You know, I said no, at the beginning, he was always so warm. Um uh, and make, make me, you make me laugh so much. But I think today, uh, as you have in your book, you've really shown the other side uh, in extraordinary childhood, an extraordinary footballing career. Um, I think you bring a very new perspective on resilience. And I think you're a great inspiration. I know for lots of players, but for lots of people in business too. So thank you for talking to me today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network. <laughs>